Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm so excited to have on the pod tonight, we've got New York's own Annie Russell. Hello, Annie. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely a treat. I think the last time we hung out together was a comedy festival in North Carolina. Is that right? Was that the last time? That was a what that was a while ago now. That was maybe like 2019. Oh man. Um I just feel like time has no meaning yeah, anymore. That was pre-pandemic. Yeah. We were in um Raleigh. Is that yes. right? Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. I remember you explaining to me that grocery stores outside of Wisconsin do not have multiple sausage sections. And <laughs> it was so funny when we were like, we're trying to get something for like a comedian barbecue and you're like, where's the other sausage section? And I was like, <laughs> I don't think they have that. It still blows my mind. I, I don't get it. <laughs> you need selection, you know? Annie, why don't you tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you do? So my name is Annie Russell. I uh, am a stand-up comedian. Um, I also do some audio stuff. I am a radio editor um, for my day job, but I am a comedian that's based in Brooklyn, New York. I've lived all over the country, so you might know me from Chicago or Vermont or any of the other scenes that I've been a part of. And yeah, I run two really great shows here in Brooklyn um, that I would love for people to check out, um, Hourglass Comedy and Hello Beautiful Comedy. So if you're around, please come out to a show. I got to say, Hourglass Comedy has like my favorite posters. Like whenever I see them pop up on my Insta feed, I'm like, ooh, it that just is looks so pleasing. That means so much to me because we actually had a poster. I don't want to say crisis because like it's just a comedy show poster, but we had like reached out to an artist who at the very last minute, like just got too busy and wasn't able to create a poster for us. And so like, I like put something together in Canva and I sent it to my show producer, my co-producers and they were like, this is great. And I'm like, no, this is like horrible. Like we can't actually, I'm like, this is a placeholder for the first one. So the fact that someone likes the poster means a lot to me. No, it looks great. Great. I love it. And it's very reminiscent of the artwork you did for Freshmen, which yeah. I love that show so much. That was so fun. It was so fun. Yeah. I used to run a show where people um, shared their old embarrassing artwork, <laughs> um, anything that they earnestly put out into the world, but now feel embarrassed about um, was something that they could come and share on the show and it was really fun to get all of my funniest friends like in a room and just hear their like horrible poetry and music and writing from like high school and college. Oh yes. I read from zines I made when I was in high school that were very like punk rock rudimentary, you know, like maybe she'd just taken a semester of sociology, a lot of hard hitting opinions. <laughs> Super we fun. have all been there. I like do tell people if every nude on my phone leaked, I would be fine. But if my like poetry from high school ever leaked, that would be um, emotionally devastating to me. That's why, thank God, the internet wasn't as established when we were like preteens. I oh yeah, oh, I'm so thankful for that. I would not have done well. I would have been um, uh, on the news. It would have been not good. <laughs> 
Uh, so Annie, how do you feel about horror overall? What's your relationship to it? So I am a notorious tiny little baby when it comes to horror. I have always shied away from it. I am a very, very sensitive person. So I'm really sensitive to in any kind of art media, whether it's a book, TV show, movie, song, like anything with like a really heightened emotional intensity is going going to be really hard for me to deal with. And so I have not always been the best fit for horror because certain horror movies that I've seen have just deeply, deeply unsettled me to the point where like they stayed in my mind for weeks, you know, some of the images that I saw. So I have been very selective with what I have seen. And I usually trust friends who know me to make recommendations on what they think that I can handle and folks who I, I trust their taste. I worked in a video store for many years. And so for me, like I have grown, I've seen like a ton of movies, um, but horror has always been a genre that I just have been a little bit um, trepidatious to explore. But with that being said, I have had friends introduce me to stuff that I really do like and then then getting into kind of like what we're going to talk about, I have since kind of realized that things that straddle that line of like funny and scary are a little bit easier for me to handle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was curious. I saw you on my Instagram feed talking about horror at the paper machete. And I'm curious, what was your take on it there? So I wrote a very um, over-the-top essay with stronger opinions than I actually hold um, about how I don't think that people should be snobbish toward franchises like the Scream movies. Um, I actually rewatched all of them like to prepare to see the new one that came out, oh and God. I had such a fun time doing so. And the essay was sort of about that compared with kind kind of the elevated horror, A24, everything also has to have some deep emotional resonance and we have to, you know, also be exploring grief and uh, motherhood and this and that. And so just kind of playing with that idea that like, a horror movie doesn't have to be that. It can just be um, somebody getting stabbed on a train. Yeah, sometimes you just need something simple. <laughs> it's funny that you're talking about things that really impacted you when you were a kid because like I grew up watching horror movies my grandpa had a video store I loved horror but what scared me and absolutely leveled me in a class with fellow students is the teacher playing the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald wow okay so that so everybody's different <laughs> do you remember like a like an early a horror movie that you saw early in age that kind of like pulled you into the genre and you were like this is really cool yeah, I my favorite and my first views were like Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Blood Sucking Freaks, and they were mm -hmm. just all so wild. I yeah. remember thinking like, "Oh, this is what movies are." <laughs> I so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I would put on a short list of movies that I saw that I should not have seen um, mm. because it really stuck with me in like a really upsetting way that and for whatever reason last house on the left I Ooh. saw at like a really like tender time and I truly had nightmares for weeks. 
Yeah. I don't know if any time is right for Last House on the Left. Well, yeah, I later saw it again. I was at a bar doing karaoke and this like metal bar as you do. And they were just like playing it in the background oh, yeah. cool. as my friends like singing a kink song. And I'm just like, this is not, this is not needed. Not okay. <laughs> uh, do you remember your first horror movie that you saw? I do because I, you know, I grew up in like a pretty strict Irish Catholic uh, household. So like I wasn't allowed to watch or do a lot of things, you know, Simpsons was not okay in my household. Like there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that we were not allowed to consume. But I remember one afternoon we had a babysitter and for whatever reason, the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space was put yeah. on. Uh, and that was the first, like, it's kind of sci-fi horror campy, but like that was the first thing I had seen and it terrified me. Um, you didn't love I, a, ki a cotton candy cocoon? I, oh my God, you saying that right now just <laughs> brought me back to like a real core childhood memory of I'm seeing sorry. that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I brought it up. I also remember at like sleepovers, occasionally, you know, horror movies would get put on and, uh, you know, things like the Chucky movies and like Dolly Dearest was the other one. I don't know if you've Ooh, seen that. I haven't. It's sort of like the girl Chucky. Like Ooh, it's equality. You know, yeah. I mean, there's so many knockoffs of knockoffs of knockoffs, mm -hmm. right? And so it was definitely one of those. And I remember really vividly a scene of somebody's hand getting like stuck in a sewing machine. And I was like, I, I didn't need to see that. Uh, that actually sleepover. happened to me when I was little. My thumbnail is forever messed up. That's the fear. <laughs> yeah. It, it didn't feel good. My Do fear happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let children sew. Yeah, I guess, I guess not. Oh, man. So for us to talk about tonight, Annie has chosen the 2000, was the final chapter at the time, uh, Scream 3. So this is the most hated of the Scream movies. And I'm curious, why did you choose this one? I love it so much. I think that it is so dumb and so fun to watch. Like for me, like Parker Posey makes this movie. Uh, like, yes. I just love, like she like understood the assignment and was just like, okay, I'm going to play this over the top. And for those that like need to be caught up, uh, Parker Posey, you know, they're in a universe where they're making a movie of the movie, right? And so Parker Posey is playing like the stab three version of Gail Weathers, aka Courtney Cox. And the two of them together are hilarious. The fact that we have Noel from Felicity, the fact that we have Putty from Seinfeld, the cast is insane, frankly. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just so, I think it's just so fun. And I love that, like, as opposed to the later screams, like, there are more, like, silly laugh lines in this movie, um, which is something that I appreciate as somebody who's, like, really, um, I don't love in the later scream movies how things get more and more violent and a little gorier as we go into four or five and beyond. And so this feels like the right uh, level for me. Yeah. I was kind of surprised three got so much hate because I mean, I didn't like two that much. I think three is better than two and I might get angry emails about that, but <laughs> yeah, no, I can't wait for your listeners to be like, who is this girl that has no idea what she's talking about? But um, I liked three <laughs> better than two, like by a lot. Me too. Also, just like the, like you had said, the cast is so good, but the cameos are so fun too. 
Like yes. Carrie Fisher, come on. The Carrie Fisher cameo, we see Jay and Silent Bob, which is just for those of us who were like around in Y2K, like that feels like just the most of the time reference that you could see in a movie and they're there for no reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're just like two seconds and then they're I gone. think I, I read that it was like they were filming the Jay and Silent Bob movie like at the same time. So there was sort of like a crossover where they were just like around. And yeah. that's how that happened. And Wes Craven was in his movie. And then actually Wes Craven is behind Jay and Silent Bob in Scream 3. He's got little glasses and a hat on. Oh, see that I did not know. And I it's been a long time since I've seen the Jay and Silent Bob movie. So I didn't remember that Wes Craven was in that. But um, yeah, I I think the cameos are really fun. And I I don't know. I I felt like... You know, the thing with Scream is that as it goes on, the connections to Nev Campbell's character's mom become like more and more tenuous, you know, and it's just like more of a reach as to like, how are we even connecting to this original like thing that happened? And so I, this one felt like the last of the, the movies that felt like, okay, we're like still in this like universe, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Sydney's mom, can we just let a woman live? Like, <laughs> no, apparently she can't even get peace in death because she is a full on ghost in this movie. And it's a lot. It's uh, yeah. Sydney's mom. I also really what tickled me on my rewatch is how when Nev Campbell enters this film and this is kind of like how we see her as this like virginal pure whatever like they're playing the most wholesome music like mm -hmm. they're really hitting us over the head with the idea that her character is supposed to be this like good person who's in on her healing journey and she's working at a domestic violence hotline and she's got a dog and she's in the woods and she's like a this like wholesome pure woman mm -hmm. yeah exactly and oh it, it did kind of like jump out to me like oh maybe she's not dealing with her own feelings by burying herself in work you know like the whole trauma thing totally totally and it's um yeah and, and like I am kind of tickled by you know the Dewey Gale like will they won't they do they like it's just funny and dumb um which I, I enjoyed in this one. I do too, especially now that we live in this like uh, this like the obsession between alpha male and beta males, and mm. you know Dewey is kind of that like quirky little beta male, and you know Gail is like this. She would be the uh, the deeply unlikable childless woman. You know, <laughs> it's like it's nice to see them thrive. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I just, I love that he proposes to her at the end of this film using her own book, um, if which a is man just, did that to me. I would murder them. That's like, tell me you think she's a narcissist without telling me <laughs> you think she's a narcissist. <laughs> well, he, he destroyed her book too to put the ring I in mean, it she's got other copies but I was like this this is not the move um but she was into <laughs> it I guess 
And I forget, I I heard recently um, an interview with Courtney Cox where she actually gave the timeline of where she and David Arquette's relationship was throughout like the course of Scream because like they met and they didn't like each other and then they were together and then they did one movie after they divorced. Um, And so I think this is a period when they were together, but I'm not positive. Oh, I hope so. That's sweet. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, with all the screen movies, the thing that jumped out at me the most is just like kind of what you were saying as well. But these grudges people hold on to and like, I'll defend my family, but like, Jesus Christ. It's so much. I mean, like to to think that you would be that mad. And this is like going back to a different scream. And I apologize if anyone's like a purist and you're like, you're not talking about scream <laughs> three. But, you know, going back to like being so mad that like your dad fucked someone else's mom that you then have to go on a killing spree like that to me was just I mean, it's over the top. And that's like the thing about this movie and what I kind of like about them, too. And what I find kind of fun is it doesn't matter who the killer is ultimately, you know, Mm -hmm. like the reveal is not even really typically the satisfying moment, you know, in in the films. You know, I saw the new one and I will agree it is not. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> of course, we won't spoil that because it's brand new. But We're, yeah, we won't spoil it. But I will say that like they really subverted some expectations in the new one to the point where I'm like, does anything mean anything at all? Yeah. Do you think it's the last one? I, no, I don't, I don't either. I don't I trust don't. them. I don't. Are they saying it's the last one? I thought that's what was rumored to be. But, you know, these horror movie types, they, they keep pulling you in. It's like bands who say, this is our final tour. Yeah. Like, you liars, it's not. Well, it's also like they've created this formula now with four, five, and six where, you know, I guess five and six especially is what I'm talking about, where like they have like a new class of folks who have like really tangential relationships to the original folks. So you could take that to any conclusion you wanted to, you know, you could keep doing that forever if you wanted to, you know, stick with that formula. My cousin's third cousin's neighbor. I know, I know. When we get to the point where it's like, you know, the killer had a secret baby, I was like, okay, we're we're good. Yeah. Wow. Talk about sibling rivalry. That was uh, a bit much. Mm-hmm. I mean, could you imagine living your whole life just to stalk one person and make their life miserable and murder them? I mean, Roman, you had so much going for you. I mean, he really could have um, benefited from just a little bit of therapy, I think. Um, You know, he, this is all stemming from like, he showed up to their house and and her mom didn't really want to deal after she was, I believe they heavily imply sexually abused by multiple Um, people yeah yeah multiple people but we're still gonna go ahead and villainize her for having too many secrets oh and and what roman said was this is what he did to her to make her a slut and that line i was like oh wow 2000 was a very different time 
And like, that's not how sexual assault works, you guys. That's not like, that is such an offensive and outdated like thought. Watching this through like the Y2K lens, right? At Like from everything from the fashion to the jokes to the whatever, you're like, oh, wow, this was, uh, we held some deeply, deeply problematic views. Mm-hmm. Which is wild because it doesn't feel like that long ago, but then you're right with that lens. You're like, wow, that was a lifetime ago. Thank God. Yeah, all you have to do is look at Courtney Cox's outfits and hair in this movie to know that we are in a, that was 23 years ago. I also, I recently cut my bangs. Um, so I just need you to know I am well. Uh, I just, <laughs> I love a bang. But yeah, ooh, Courtney's bangs in this movie. A moment of silence for them. They're they not- are. They're turf bangs. They're They're like little spikes. They're not even really uh, bangs. But I I just thought the way they styled her was really funny. Like everything she was in was really bright and like over the top. And they really uh, leaned into the whole Hollywood aspect of it. It's like everyone's in LA for some reason. And um, especially the cotton stuff at the beginning was just like goofy as hell, you know? Oh, yeah. Is his show 100% cotton. which is a good name. It is a good name. Good branding. (laughs) Okay. So one thing that really blew me away in this movie is that we have John Milton, who is the producer who was assaulting women to put them in roles, you know, really kind of a nod to what was happening with Harvey Weinstein. Who was a producer on this movie? Yes. The line that stuck out to me when I was rewatching this was the actress who's playing Sydney in the movie of the movie says, like, I can't believe I slept with that pig to get this job. And that's like such a direct reference to, you know, what people have said about Harvey Weinstein. It's just like the clues were there the whole time. Yeah. Do you think this was Wes Craven like making sort of a a silent or sort of an allegation or was this just so prominent that of course they would put it in a movie? Yeah, I, that I don't, I mean, I don't know enough about Wes Craven to be able to answer that question, but I feel like, like if this was in the ether to that level in the year 2000 like how shameful like how long it took for all of that stuff to come to light you know yeah it was seven more years oh wait no 17 17 yeah yeah 2017 is when all that broke finally Ooh, gross Yeah, super gross. I also like learned um, that 60 Minutes 2 was a real program based on this movie. I thought that was just like a a funny joke that they made where they kept referencing that she, Gail, was on 60 Minutes 2. And no, that was a real show. It was like the the second weekly airing of 60 Minutes. It used to be on like Wednesdays. Huh, I had no idea. Well, I learned. Is total entertainment news real? (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) So one thing I was reading about Scream 3 is that originally it was going to be way more violent and they were going to have two killers. But because of Columbine and like the scrutiny the film industry was facing at that point, they really pulled back. You know, it's interesting because there are so many things alluding to the fact that Angelina, who played Sydney, was in on it. Right. 
I thought she was, you know, for uh, on first reviewing of this, you know, I think I originally saw these. I think I probably saw this in the theater, but it had been years and years. And I've now rewatched it twice in the past couple of weeks. And that really stuck out to me. Like she clearly could have been an accomplice. And in the later screen movies, they have no problem just unmasking multiple, you know, people who are in on it. The choice to make it like the one man show of Roman feels strange to me. Yeah, especially since a woman called the police office trying to get Sydney's file. She got weirdly separated from them during that yep. explosion in the house in the hills. And then she was like putting on a scream outfit in the bathroom they, or ghost face mask. I mean, they caught her with a ghost ma- face mask and like a voice modulator in the restroom. So I just, I wonder like if there were just a couple of scenes that were rewritten and the rest of that stayed in, like, that's just hard to reconcile. Like how did, how does that make sense? You know? Yeah. It feels like a hanging thread that needs to be dealt with in some way. I guess I didn't quite realize that. So Columbine happened between two and three? Yes. Okay. God, remember when shootings were uh, not every other day? I do. I mean, Columbine was like the first big one that I remember. I was a freshman in high school for that. So that was like definitely like a, a big moment. And it's interesting to see to kind of remember that the first scream came out before that because of course in the first scream you have like two like high school you know boys doing the killings which I just I haven't thought about that in forever mm-hmm. yeah apparently like the original writer from scream one and two Kevin Williamson he wanted three to be about a cult that Stu creates Stu's not actually dead and he creates like a ghost face cult from jail and I'm like damn I would watch that movie That would have been cool. I mean, Kevin Williamson knows how to write a movie. I will say that. It's like I feel his absence from the later films and it it starts to feel like uh, different to me. And I also like how watching those early screen movies, you're like, oh, yeah, this is like Dawson's Creek. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've actually never watched Dawson's Creek. Do you think I'd like it? Um, I think you would. I think that it's a very fun nostalgia ride. Um, and it's just funny to think that like the, the like big criticism of it at the time was that it was like too well written and teenagers don't talk like that, which is just such like a wholesome critique to think about in 2023 that I just I think that's hilarious. It is. It's adorable. It's too smart. Yeah. We certainly don't have to worry about anything being too smart these days. No, we don't. And it, and it's just like funny that like now like teen dramas are like, all right, so everyone's on drugs and um, there's an orgy. And in yeah, Dawson's Creek is just like, I got sad and rode down the creek and talked to Dawson, which as you can imagine, was right up my alley. That was about where I was operating in 2000. Some real sad girl programming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I think the major theme, you know, is probably mom issues, but did anything else jump out at you? Yeah, I mean, like not wanting this fear of wanting to become her mom. Famously, every woman wants to become her mother. And so they're really (laughs) flipping something 
on its head by <laughs> presenting that as an issue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was a like a big one for me. And I just felt like this through line of goofiness throughout it. There were a, like a ton of Friends references for people who watched Friends. I mean, this was also like the height of the popularity of, you know, I think Friends was ending around this time and it was just really, they had a lot of little Easter eggs in there, like the David Schwimmer starring in the first Stab movie, even though he's not, you know, on camera, um, a lot of references. And so that I feel like it felt more pop culture-y, even for a Scream movie than some of the other ones. One thing that like I like about these movies is their meta commentary on the commentary thing, which I I, I just, like, it's very Gen X, but I enjoy it. Like, I will eat that up. Yeah, it's very fun. I also, I just, I can't talk enough about Parker Posey in this movie. I, I love her anyway. And then, like, she has so many scenes in this film where she is, like, understated, but fucking hilarious. She is so funny in this. And, like, she's funny in anything. I will watch her open an envelope. Like, I don't you know, like I've no, um, I've never seen a bad, uh, Parker Posey like experience, but this was just so funny and campy. Like when she like jumps up into the arms of her security <laughs> guard, yes. like just so dumb and not needed just her affect, her styling that they did. And then how at the end she's like, Oh no, I'm help. Like I'm going to solve this with you. She just fully commits to it in this like very endearing way. Mm hmm. I, I also love that scene where they are with Carrie Fisher in the basement and they're trying to figure out, you know, that Maureen was actually Rena and uh, Courtney Cox, Gail, gives tries to give Carrie Fisher 50 bucks and uh, Parker Posey, Jennifer, is like, what are you still working for the Woodsboro High School reporter? <laughs> and like gives her a ring is like $2,000. <laughs> And we find out her real and name is Judy Jurgenston. Yes, yes. A nod to all the folks who've had to change their names. Yeah, so like very uh, funny performance from her. I don't know how much we're supposed to spoil these things, but- Oh, um, you can go full spoilers. Also, this movie is old enough to drink. Come on, people. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, I, you know, people get upset. Like her death was the one that affected me the most in any Scream movie. And I'm like counting bigger characters than her in that mm -hmm. I agree it was just so it was so tense and it, she was so close to being free if Dewey could have just got his shit together yeah mm. well guess what he's not going to be doing that this whole movie he's pretty lame in this movie I have to say like he's there are some of the films where he like really rescue like he saves the day this is not one of them he was really like incapacitated for most of this um like final you know yeah. Act. The fact that he failed to save her was uh, a bummer. Yeah, he went to Hollywood and got soft. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do think one of my favorite parts is when we first meet Parker Posey's character and Dewey and Gail together. And it's kind of like, oh, hmm, hmm, what do you guys talk about? <laughs> Yeah, it really reminds me of like when you see a photo of your ex's current girlfriend and they look exactly like you and you're just like, whoa, like <laughs> homeboy's got a type. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part because it's just so awkward. 
It's so awkward. And also like his relationship with Parker Posey character is so ambiguous. You know, they're not presented as like this, like official couple in any way. They're just sort of like kind of dancing around it. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite part of Scream 3? Oh my God. What is my favorite part of Scream 3? It's just hard not to pick the, like the scene in um when they get to um, the house and it's like very Manson family and it's just like very silly at first um, it's actually silly the whole time but um, when yeah when we like go we're in Parker Posey's home and we're like learning he lives in the trailer and then we're immediately flipped into like very shortly this entire house is going to blow up for no reason and they had a budget to do so but like I also feel like the Roman reveal scene was so dumb that I almost want to pick it because (laughs) it like I've never heard like a villain monologue that I cared less about than that speech yeah I I kept expecting him to say and it's my birthday (laughs) (laughs) seriously I do enjoy the fact like that house scene with the gas. It's probably the only horror movie I've ever seen that involves a fax machine. That's fun. I also can't like I found myself thinking when that fax was coming through, like I wouldn't read it. Like I don't I don't think I would be interested in what the killer was saying. Like the killer is just gonna be like, I'm gonna kill you. Like you don't need to run it back into the house for that message, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Tom would have been alive had he not waited for that fax. And that's fine. We don't I mean he wasn't great. I don't think that was a big loss, but uh... You're right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Someone we uh haven't touched on yet. Jenny McCarthy. Wow. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Small but mighty role. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite line that they let her have was like, why am I 35 playing a (laughs) 21-year-old? Spot on. Very, very much spot on. And that's kind of what I mean about like this movie is not afraid to just like reference itself. So I that sort of tickled me. Yeah, I especially loved where she was like, shower scene, why am I in the shower that's so overdone, it's so dumb, where this movie opens with a shower scene, which I thought that was kind of yeah, fun, exactly. like making fun of itself. Exactly, and she said, why am I showering, my boyfriend just died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, I would maybe want a long, hot shower just to calm my body. I'm not sure. Um I'm not sure when else you're supposed to shower. Yeah. Yeah. Did seem odd. Well, and then the other thing Jenny McCarthy said is like, uh, we've already seen a shower scene. It's been done vertigo. And it's like, no, that was psycho dummy. (laughs) I'm surprised they let that slide. I mean, clearly it was intentional, but I think that I wonder how many people got it. Mm. Ah, it's a humor joke. Ah. I think it's for (laughs) for people that think they're smarter than other people. That's the... Yes. Were there any other favorite parts that you loved? I don't know that there's another favorite part for me. I thought that overall, like in the context of Scream, I had a great time with this movie. I, I would love to talk about like why people hate it. Like, why do you think that is? You know, I'm not sure. I, I kind of wonder if it has, I mean, it's all women, right? Mm. There's not a lot of male dialogue in this film. Uh, I don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, oh! I just remembered the thing that I would be so pissed if I didn't mention. Oh, the yeah. Tor- 
tortured ghost cop who uh nev campbell hooks up with um by the end like of course totally what, professional what a character like what a what a character to just come in i'm a cop and he she asks him what his favorite scary movie is and he says my life because <laughs> he's tortured by demons or whatever the fuck he says i'm like all right this dude is emo as hell and i'm in like i understand why she's attracted to him immediately like i would have been reading <laughs> his poetry i would have been watching uh, like i would be subscribed to his Substack. like whatever the the equivalent is i am picking up what he was putting down the most terrifying thing he said is he was chatting with Sydney in the office and he goes something like, well, you know, it's a trilogy, so all the main characters can die. <laughs> Just like looks at her like dead eyed. I'd be like, OK, so do we uh, have a plan to make that not happen? Hot cop. Do you think it's weird for law enforcement to say something like that? Because I thought he was trying to solve the case and he's just like commenting on it. And then he's got a fucking weird file on her where he's been like following her this whole time. So yeah, super weird. But then at the end of the movie, they're watching a movie together, which we can only assume means they're in love. Oh, of course. And it's going to go super great. But yeah, I totally thought it was him. I mean, honestly, never trust a cop. That's just me. But there were so many instances where you were like, oh, it's him. It's totally And they w they played with that a little bit. You know, they do the classic scream thing where, like, the person who's not there at the time of the incident, like, shows up later. And then you have to wonder, like, okay, is that a ghost face person? Or is that, like, our friend who's just showing up late to the stabbing? You know, like, what <laughs> is happening? And they play with, with that with him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who did you think it was? Upon first watching, like way back in the day, who who did your gut say that? I mean, I think the cop, and then uh, like honestly, the the actress that plays Sydney, like that's those were the two kind of suspects that I had. I was fooled by the fake Roman death. Me um, too. The first time around, but then like on second viewing, I was like, oh, they never show him getting stabbed. I should never trust, you know, a death that I don't see on camera so yeah in in hindsight like yes of course he just crawled into that little coffin and uh you know played dead but yeah that got me yeah speaking of not trusting the death you don't see on camera it was fun to see sydney reverse that and uh, use it to her advantage exactly so she you know is wearing the bulletproof vest it turns out and you know she kind of like comes back um you know, to stab her brother in a really, really creepy way, um, if I'm being honest. Um, and then they hold hands after she kills him, which again, I have three brothers. I'm not doing either one of those things. Like, it's just a very strange, like, uh, emotion that she's bringing to that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It felt weirdly intimate uh, for someone that she never met before knowing nope. he was a full out murderer. And has no confirmation that any of what he's saying is true, by the way. Like, yeah. he could just be oh, a wacko. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Speaking of Sydney's family, the scene with her and her dad just blew me away that everyone yep. in Scream Universe is losing their minds and murdering people over things. And dad is just super chill and like, yep, your mom had a lot of secrets. <laughs> that, yeah, that is, um, yeah, we love a chill king, I guess. But he... <laughs> 
does not care that his wife was fucking every single person <laughs> that she could find. Well, it was a condition, you know, she, she I, couldn't help it, Annie. I know she became a slut as we learned in this movie. <laughs> Because that's how that works. Her own desires were not in play at all. But yeah, I wonder if to your point about like the, this was like a very female fronted movie. And I wonder if that has something to do with why folks don't like it. Also, like as somebody who watched Felicity, like seeing uh, Scott Foley, aka Noel from Felicity play like a villain was just kind of like, delicious and fun like it's just Mm. he plays like the most nice guy character on Felicity so it was just kind of like a treat to see that oh another show I haven't watched geez what was I doing what were you doing I mean you were watching uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre (laughs) I was watching Dawson's Creek and this is why we're different people (laughs) hey we're both fun (laughs) you know what I can't help but think if people hate three because it undoes one. Like it takes agency away from Billy and Stu. Uh huh. In that Ro- Roman was the director and instigating all of that. So it kind of negates the whole plot of one and one and two, maybe. Yeah. I think I have had to let go of any like thought that like any of this is going to make sense. Like, yes, they're going to fully undo whatever they did last time. They're going to come up with another character that of course we didn't know about or somebody that wasn't um, actually dead. And that, that is kind of like the, the nature of a franchise that has six movies in it. Um, and also, I, I don't know, I think if you are caught up in that kind of stuff, just zoom out a little bit, take a walk, drink a glass of water. I have so many notes all like diagramming who killed who and why. <laughs> it looks like a really bizarre family tree. And what the whys are funny because they're just <laughs> like a lot of them are really, really like low key. Like they're just not like you, uh, you fucked your like it's just, yeah. The why people care about Sydney's mom thing still boggles my mind, but they do kind of like nod to that in the later movies where they introduce, you know, one of the later characters in five who is, you know, Billy's daughter. And she goes through the same kind of journey of like not wanting to become her dad you know nev campbell's character goes through in this so like they're they're kind of playing with the same themes a little bit oh yeah that's a good point i hated i hated number two because i just can't take aunt jackie as a murderer you know yeah that felt like flimsy as hell in terms of the motivation for doing something like that like that like little duo at the end I was like what like this does not seem like a team to me um no um that's why it felt like such a reach you know agreed all right any final thoughts on scream three you know what my final thoughts on scream three as somebody who once 
considered myself like too smart for movies like this and you know would have been snobby about like going to see like a very mainstream very like pop culture heavy you know big budget just like fun slasher like I have learned as I have gotten older to just like enjoy the thing and I have fully enjoyed rewatching all of the Scream movies in the past couple weeks I enjoyed watching six even though I don't know if I liked it I still like had a good time watching it so I think that like what I hope people take away is just like the spirit of like just go with it it's not gonna make sense but let's just uh enjoy the movie (laughs) absolutely I feel that as well like trying to find reason it just ruins the vibe just go with it it's scary there's a jump scare there's a knife go yeah, the jump scares are fun, um, but the the gore is not over the top, which is why this works for me. Um, and I we're not seeing people disemboweled or tortured, so that is always going to be a win in my book. Mm-hmm. I will say I did love Six. I like the setting of a slasher in a huge metropolitan area. I think that is kind of new in that idea of being scared while also being surrounded by a sea of people is a neat take on the uh, slasher. You know what is, like, I talk about this all the time with folks who I know that grew up in New York City who get so scared whenever they go in the country. And then, you know, I know other folks that I met when I lived in Vermont who get so nervous coming to the city. And I think it's literally just like whatever you were not used to is like you're seeing the dangers, you know, for me, there's nothing scarier than like a desolate house on a hill type of thing. Whereas, you know, for somebody else being on a crowded subway car is going to be scarier. And um, I think they're kind of like playing with that idea. I kind of like the thing that they do occasionally in these films where they'll have like multiple ghost face all around and you don't know which one is the one. And that that is like enough to to keep me on the edge of my seat. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so funny when I moved back to Green Bay from Chicago, I lived in Humboldt Park, very loud, and then moved into my apartment in Green Bay. The first night I was there, I was so terrified. I just kept having these feelings of like everyone's dead it's so quiet the quiet (laughs) really terrifies me and there's nothing scarier to me than one person whistling in an otherwise quiet location and um that happens more in the country that is unhinged behavior (laughs) don't like it don't do it don't do it around me don't show me last house on the left and do not whistle at me yeah Oh, man. Yeah, that's such an interesting point you bring up about, you know, it's whatever you're not used to. That's scary. That makes so much sense. Annie Russell, you're so smart. I'm I'm trying to bring some emotional intelligence to Scream 3. And I tried. I don't know if there's anything to make sense out of, but you we're going gonna... <laughs> to try to take something away. Uh, is there anything you want people to know about? Yeah, please come to Hourglass Comedy if you're in Brooklyn. We are at Endless Life Brewing, and that happens the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. It is always a fun show. I run it with my friends Steve Malden and Tom Peters. It is always just like a super, super fun party. We love them. Um, And if you're also around the first Friday of every month, I also have another um, great show called Hello Beautiful at a cafe called Chow Bella in the Prospect Lefferts neighborhood 
neighborhood of Brooklyn. So whenever you find yourself in New York at those times, please come out. We'd love to see you. Oh, I love that you're running a show with Steve. What a treat, you two together. That would be I know. so fun. It's it's a little opposites attract situation. Um, it's, uh, yeah, Steve's the best. I do remember the first time I ever saw him at the Globe in Chicago, I thought this person is either absolutely the most brilliant comedian I've ever seen or someone who just wandered in off the street. <laughs> Yeah, it's like very like he like I'm on the spreadsheet and he is like scurrying around is kind of like the vibe. And then our our other wonderful co-host, Tom, is like somewhere in the middle as like a reasonable human being. So it's a it's a good mix. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, be sure to check out Annie's shows. And is there um, a website or anything we direct folks to? People, I'm, you know, I find my, I'm mostly on Instagram these days. So my Instagram is at Annie M. Russell. I have that on Twitter too, but I'm really trying not to be there. Um, Why? So, no, just kidding. <laughs> all right. That's a new podcast and I truly am going to get too enraged to talk about it. So um, you'll have to guess why I'm not on Twitter. Um, and, but yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram these days. So find me there. Awesome. Be sure to follow Annie. She is so funny and talented. You'll love all her work and shows. And that has been Bloody Mary. This has been Annie Russell and Kristen Lighty. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you.